Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Tom, and I've been attending here at Mundaring Church of Christ since I became a Christian about seven years ago. Um, last week, if you were here, we finished our sermon series in Ezekiel, where we've been for, for some months, and soon we'll, beginning our new, we'll be beginning our new series in uh, First Peter. But to bridge the gap until then, seeing as Glenn is away and Chris is out at Narrambeen, uh, Chris asked me if I could preach this Sunday. Um, so I'll be taking us through the passage that Janet just read for us, uh, going through Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Same talk that was given at 2J. So if you were at 2J, lucky you, you get to hear it again. Uh, and hopefully you find, I hope you do find encouragement um, as we look at this great passage and the great God we serve again. And if it's your first time listening to it, I hope you find that as well. So before I get started, I'll open for us in prayer if you'd like to join me. Father God, we thank you for being able to gather together here this morning and worship you together. Thank you for your son Jesus, who gave his life for us to make a way for us to be made right with you. Please give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying to us from this passage. Help us to see and know you even better. Be at work in us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. When life as a Christian becomes difficult, what keeps you going in the faith? I'm sure it's not hard to think of things that can be discouraging for you in your walk as a Christian, whether it be disagreements and ridicule uh, from our friends or families or peers because of the gospel, new ideas and teachings that just disregard Christianity, suffering and pain in the world. Uh, we see every time we check the news or our phones or TV, or even when we hear of our fellow Christians being persecuted in other countries. There is so much in this world that we can find discouraging and difficult, so much so that it may have crossed your mind whether Christianity is really worth it. Is Christianity really worth it? How can I continue in the face of such adversity and opposition? Well, Paul gives us an answer to that, to that very question in today's passage. He's writing a letter to the church of Colossae, encouraging them to hold on to the gospel and not turn to false teaching that could distract them. We see that in verse 23, uh, where he encourages them to continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Paul desires for the Colossian church to hold on to the faith and hope that they have in the gospel. He encourages them to do so by reminding them of how good and great Jesus is. Paul's answer to the question of how we can keep going in the faith, despite hardship, is to be reminded of how great our Saviour is. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We'll step through this passage bit by bit to see why Jesus being our ruler and reconciler gives us plenty of reasons to continue in the faith. Uh, my hope is that you'll find encouragement here for whatever struggles in the faith you may be experiencing or will experience uh, going forward. So we'll begin in verses 15 to 19, if you want to follow along, where Paul says seven things uh, about Jesus as the great ruler. The first point uh, that Paul makes is that Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Verse 15 tells us that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And on first glance, 
That statement feels like a paradox, right? How can we have an image of something that's invisible? That's like having a photograph of the wind. And this seems to present a problem to us. How can we hope to understand what God is like if we can't see him? And what on earth does it mean to be the image of something that's invisible? Although its meaning is confusing, the phrase image of the invisible God may feel a little familiar to us. That's because Paul is drawing on language that is used uh, to describe us as humans all the way back uh, in the story of creation in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1:27, we read that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. The Bible tells us that we are made in the image of God, that we reflect some qualities and aspects of God in who we are and in how we live. Not in the physical sense, but more in our character and nature. In some way, everyone is like a blurry photograph of God. By looking at a person, you can get a glimpse of some part of God, his wisdom, his love, his imagination, his value, his worth. Um, However, we fail to represent God properly. Although we are made in his image, we still sin and fail to live in line with who we were created to be. For Jesus to be the image of God, however, means that he doesn't just display some of the qualities of God. He is the exact and perfect representation of God. Unlike our blurry photograph, Jesus is the perfect portrait that depicts God in all of his glory. Though we only reflect specks of God's character, Jesus reflects the fullness of who God is. So if we want to know what God is like, we only need to look to Jesus. God isn't hiding any of himself from us. The invisible God we put our faith in has made himself visible and knowable to us in his Son. When we look at Jesus, we are seeing with crystal clarity the God we put our faith in. And that's only the beginning of who we understand Jesus to be from this passage. As we look to the second point uh, from this section, that Paul tells us that Jesus is supreme over all creation. In verse 15, we read that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For Jesus to be the firstborn over all creation doesn't mean that he was the first person or thing that was ever created. Rather, that word firstborn uh, is being used here to indicate the sense of authority or privilege that would be bestowed on a person if they were the first child born in a family. They would get all of this additional privilege and rights to inheritance that were excluded uh, from those born after them. Uh, so Paul is telling us that Jesus bears special rights to authority and privilege over his creation that no one else has. He is supreme over all of it, not subservient or less than it. And this gets fleshed out even more for us in the next verse, uh, for the third point in verse 16, where it reads that, For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. What we learn from this verse is not only that Jesus is supreme over all creation, but it was actually made through him and for him. Although creation was orchestrated and enacted by God the Father, he chose to work through the Son, through Jesus, to bring it about. And this gives us an insight into the power that Jesus has. If everything was created through Jesus, that must mean that he is more powerful than anything he has created. 
And Paul is aware of this too, and that's why he emphasizes that every throne, power, ruler, and authority was created by him. Let's stop and think about that for a moment. What does it mean for Jesus to be more powerful than any authority? It's an easy phrase to say, but what does it mean? Well, if you wanted to be more powerful than anyone in the world, where would you start? Well, you'd have to start off, I'm presuming, with your own local government. You'd need to get enough power, maybe start a protest movement or something, to overcome them. Then you'd have to deal with the state authorities, moving up to the next level, taking on the police and Mark McGowan. You'd probably need to assemble your own little army or something in order to storm Parliament House and become the most powerful person in the state. Then you need to take on the national government, taking on the federal government and the army. You need to be very powerful in order to pull that off. I don't like your chances, but maybe you could become the most powerful person in Australia. Well, what then? Well, in order to be the most powerful person in the world, you need to then take on every single other nation, ruler, power and authority and win. You see where I'm going, right? It seems impossible for us to be more powerful than every ruler or authority here on earth. But the good news from this verse is that we don't have to be. Jesus is more powerful than every ruler and authority, more powerful than the government, than our finances, than sickness, than work or family. Jesus is more powerful than all of these. And when we know that we are on his side, it certainly makes it easier for us to continue in the faith in him. Fourthly, not only did Jesus create all things, but verse 17 also tells us that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Not only is Jesus responsible for creating everything, he keeps it all running too. On first glance, it may seem less significant than the previous verse, but this claim that Jesus actively sustains the universe is also really important. You may have heard people say that they believe that God created the world, but that he doesn't really care about it or interact with it anymore. They might say that God is the creator of the universe, but also is no longer involved in it. As an analogy, they may say that God sort of wound up the little wind-up toy car that is the universe and then just set it off and no longer cares. Um, Paul unashamedly denies that conception of God. He is not far off or distant from his creation. He isn't disinterested in it or bored by it. Through Jesus' sustaining work, God is actively involved in the world even today. In fact, without Jesus' sustaining it, the world would fall apart. The laws of physics would cease to work. Planets wouldn't stay in their orbit. Seasons wouldn't change properly. Life as we know it would fall apart and cease to exist. But thanks be to God that he sustains us as part of his creation out of a deliberate act of love and care. Every breath we breathe only happens because he allows it to. We are not meaningless matter floating through a universe that doesn't care. Jesus is sustaining us and keeping us going. And we can have confident trust that he will continue to do so. Fifthly, Paul tells us that Christ is the chief authority over the church. We read in verse 18 that Christ is the head of the body, the church. Multiple times in the New Testament, you may have come across this, we hear Jesus described as the head of the body 
and we hear ourselves described as members of his body. What that means is that he, Jesus, is the uniting source of authority and identity that we as the church are to submit to. When we think of Jesus being the head of the church, it's in a similar sense to how fathers are supposed to be the head of their household. They are meant to oversee everything, care for everyone, and lead all of those in their family to flourishing life. That is how Christ relates to his church, not as some far-off or distant ruler, but as a leader who is intimately connected with his people. He is the one who oversees and cares for and nurtures his people, you and me. This has many implications for our lives in the church, but it brings forward one particular encouragement I want to focus us in on. No matter what happens in the church, it belongs to Christ and he will sustain it. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I stop and look at God's church in the world, I'm often left discouraged. Too often, instead of being faithful servants of Christ, Christians are self-righteous, hypocrites who can't practice what they preach. And I know it to be true, not, because, not just because I can see it in other Christians or in other churches, but because I can see it in my own heart too. If the church is only a group of broken people, our situation appears bleak and hopeless. Which is why Christ being the head of the church is so encouraging. No matter how far we or other churchgoers fall, Christ is still upholding us and leading us. So if you've ever been discouraged or hurt by the church, I'd encourage you not to withdraw or back away, but to rest in the knowledge that Christ is in charge of his church. That means that Jesus will look after it and steward all the local congregations of his church too, including us here at Bundaring Church of Christ. So take heart, be encouraged. The hope of the church doesn't rest in our own human efforts, but on our Saviour. Our faith is not in some human institution or club, but in Christ. Sixthly, not only does Jesus have authority over the church, but he also has authority over death. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. When Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he became the firstborn from among the dead. And this means at least two things that I want to draw our attention to. One, he also has authority over death, just like how he has authority over the rest of creation. He conquered it by his resurrection, and so he now rules and reigns over it. Death no longer holds the power it once had, for Jesus is more powerful than death. And the second little point from this is that Jesus is the first of many people who will be raised from death into newly resurrected bodies. Part of our hope is, as Christians is that when Jesus returns, we will be raised to new life with him. We'll get to join in on this new and resurrected life that Jesus is sort of a template or pattern for us to look to. So our encouragement from Jesus being the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead is that we can rest assured that he has conquered death and that we will join in on the resurrected new life with Jesus when he returns. How great is our hope that even death cannot conquer it. In God's Son, we find a hope that transcends even the worst that this world has to throw at us, a sure and steady hope for us to continue in the faith. 
Finally, to drive home that point from this section, uh, Paul tells us that Jesus bears God's likeness so perfectly uh, because he's filled with the fullness of God. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This verse is another reflection on what Paul stated back in verse 15, that the Son is the image of the invisible God. By this description, Paul says that Jesus is not just a partial or incomplete representation of God, he represents God fully and properly. An analogy that may help us is this. Imagine you were given a message by the ruler of the land. If you're in medieval times, uh, this would have been a message from the king. Uh, Nowadays, it's more likely to just be a bit more boring than that, maybe an employee on behalf of the government. But either way, they are acting on behalf of the chief authority. Although they represent that ruler, they don't have the same characteristics as that ruler. They lack the prestige, the power, the wisdom and the status. They represent their ruler only partially. In comparison, Jesus represents God fully. In some mysterious way, Jesus embodies the full characteristics of God the Father whilst being distinct from him. The Father's character is Jesus' character. His wisdom is Jesus' wisdom. His plans are Jesus' plans. And his love for us is Jesus' love for us. In summary of this section of the passage, Jesus is not just some second-rate ruler. He is the God who makes and sustains the universe, who is more powerful than any other authority, who is the head over the church, and who was the firstborn from among the living and the dead. All of this, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. In everything. There is nothing in this world that Jesus does not have supremacy over. How wonderful and magnificent is our King Jesus. His supremacy and reign are so remarkable and so complete that they give us a lifetime's worth of reasons to continue in the faith. And this is just the first of Paul's two major points from this passage for why we can continue in the faith. Jesus being the supreme king over everything should be a source of endless comfort and joy for us. But that's not all. Like an enthusiastic telemarketer sort of wheeling out the steak knives to go with the couch chair for some reason, Paul shows us that there is even more encouragement for us in Christ. Jesus' role as the ruler over everything is made even more magnificent by his reconciling work. Not only is Jesus king over everything, but he also draws us to him, from enemies to friends, from evil to forgiven. So let's take a look at Jesus as the reconciler. Look with me to the next three verses, uh, verse 20 to 22, if you want to follow along. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. As amazing as Jesus' supremacy and kingship is, There's actually very little to rejoice over if we aren't on his side. Jesus may be the supreme king of the universe, 
But if we're alienated from him, we're in big trouble. In verse 21, Paul tells us that we were once all in this position. We were alienated from God and were enemies in our minds because of our evil behavior. Paul's description of our sin problem is stark in this verse. As we've just explored, Jesus is the loving ruler of the universe. He created us to rule and steward creation with him, to be in perfect and loving, harmonious relationship. We had that opportunity for perfect life offered out to us on a platter. But what did we do with it? We threw it back in God's face with our evil minds and deeds. We can't just be neutral towards God either. We are not given the option to. Jesus is not a king that you can have a lukewarm relationship with. Our evil thoughts and actions won't somehow sneak past Jesus' watch. This is a king who will not tolerate our wrongdoings. He is too loving and too just to do that. And because we can't get rid of our evil by our own merit, it makes our own situation seem helpless and hopeless. So it's a good thing that Jesus is in the business of reconciliation. In verse 22, we read that despite our wickedness and hostility, Jesus reconciled us. Here is a reason for even more joy than Christ's kingship, his work in reconciling us to himself. To reconcile with someone uh, means to restore a close relationship you once had with them. If we return to the analogy with the king, it's as if the ruler of the land has come along and cleared us of all the wrong that stood against us. It is all forgiven. It is dealt with. There is no more judgment left for us. The love of God expressed in Christ, desiring to reconcile us, is life-changing in and of itself. The very ruler of creation, the ruler over life and death, was to have a close personal relationship with, with me? How truly wonderful and glorious. But it gets even more wondrous. We aren't just reconciled by anything, but by his physical body through his blood shed on the cross. The cost of our evil was so great that it demanded a great sacrifice to repay for the damages. So great that it required God himself in Christ to step down into our place for us. Stop and think about that for a moment. The king over all creation, life and death, desired for you to be in close relationship with him. This is despite you being constantly hostile, evil and deserving of judgment. Your charges were so great that the king knew you couldn't justify yourself. You were heading for hell and you deserved it. But then he got up from his throne walked down into your place and took the punishment on himself. Out of the utmost love, he gave himself up for you, beaten, humiliated, tortured, and then crucified. He died the death you deserved. In scandalous grace, he bore all the punishment you deserved to save you. And now he welcomes you home. King Jesus paid with his own body and then was raised to life. He has made the way for you to be drawn into relationship with him, the relationship you were created for. How mighty and glorious was Christ's bodily sacrifice for us. 
And even that is not all. We are not just pardoned for our wrongdoing. We are transformed into a renewed people. The end of verse 22 tells us, uh, through Christ's sacrifice, we are to be presented holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Thanks to Jesus, we are found not guilty. We will be presented spotless, pure and blameless before him on the day that he returns. Although we, may be, we might be saved from the penalty of our evil, we still do contend with our evil nature and earthly lives here as Christians. However, when Jesus comes again, our evil deeds will be removed from us for good. We will get to stand in awe before our Lord and Saviour and King without any spot or any blemish. And what a great and glorious day that will be. All we must do to get there is continue in the faith. You could hardly imagine a better reason to continue in the faith than this. So let me return then to my initial question. When life as a Christian becomes difficult, what can encourage us to keep going? Or to flip the question around, what's going to stop us from continuing in our faith? Well, there could be all sorts of things out there in the world that could discourage us in our faith. The world so often seems so broken that we don't even know where to begin when we look at it. When we look at the news and see the latest political scandal or crisis of leadership in world governments, wars between countries that devastate countless civilians, or natural disasters that destroy the land itself in their wake, we find no shortage of discouraging news. And our own lives aren't exactly easy either. When we are faced with the harsh realities of life, persecution from our friends, family or peers for being a Christian, struggles with our own physical or mental health, the daily grind of work that just wears us down, or significant and sorrowful personal suffering, the loss of a family member or a good friend. It can be easy to become weary in our faith, dry and joyless, or jaded, or bitter, or insecure, or scared, when we are overwhelmed by the chaos and suffering of the world that is around us. Which is why Jesus' lordship and rule is such a powerful encouragement to us. Even though we cannot discern or understand why everything in the world happens the way it does, we can be confident that Jesus rules over all of it. And if he is in control over everything, we can trust that he is governing it with wisdom and complete authority. Returning to verse 16, it reads, For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. It's true that we can't fully comprehend why God allows terrible things to happen in the world. But no matter what happens, we can trust that Jesus is in control. He is ruling and reigning right now and will one day return to set everything right with perfect judgment. No matter how hopeless life may seem personally or around the world, we can continue in faith, knowing that Jesus is the ruler over everything. So, 
Our circumstances and the world can't stop us from continuing in our faith. The problems out there can't ultimately hold us back. But what about the problems in here, in our own heart? You may not struggle so much with what's going on out there in the world, but perhaps you struggle to continue in the faith because of struggles with sin. You may feel as though your biggest enemy is yourself when it comes to fighting in the faith. And in some sense, that's very true. Even though we know we have been reconciled to God in Jesus' death, it can be so easy to give in to the temptation of our old sinful habits. Try as we may, it can sometimes seem like there is no way out from our struggles with sin. And that can be incredibly discouraging in our faith. Even in that struggle, however, Jesus has given us an encouragement that allows our faith to withstand. Returning to verse 21, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. No matter what sins you have committed, are struggling with right now, or even will commit in the future, Jesus has paid for all of them. Jesus' forgiveness and reconciliation was not partial or incomplete. His sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to cover all of our sins. There is no sin left in our lives that can separate us from God anymore. So if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here today, I really hope you would consider what Jesus is offering to you. No matter what you've said or thought or done, Jesus is offering you total forgiveness and reconciliation. There is no better offer than to be in personal relationship with the ruler and reconciler of the whole universe. And I hope you consider Jesus and put your trust in him. And to those of us who are Christians, brothers and sisters, I know that struggles with sin can be disorientating and disheartening. But Jesus has forgiven us completely. He has adopted us into his family, reconciled us completely, Yes, we need to keep fighting against sin with repentance, but if we have faith in Jesus, our salvation is secure. It is Jesus who has saved us, not ourselves. If we keep looking to Jesus, in God's kindness, instead of feeling isolated and exhausted in the faith, we'll be able to be confident, joyful, secure, thankful, and filled with awe at our good and gracious King. The longer you look at Jesus, the easier it will be to continue in the faith. We have a sure and steady hope in the King of the universe who went to the ends of that earth to save us. And so we can be confident, confident that our ruler and reconciler will keep us secure in his grace and salvation until he comes again. Not even sin can stop us from continuing in the faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your son Jesus is the loving ruler of the universe. Thank you that his rule and reign is complete, that there is nothing in the whole world more powerful, not even death. 
Thank you also that he has reconciled us to you by his death and resurrection. Please help and strengthen us in our faith so that we can continue in you. Help us when it is easy to be discouraged and weary. Remind us of your kingship and reconciling work so that we don't lose hope. Fix our eyes on the gospel, Father, and on that great day where we will be presented blameless and holy in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.